in your precious name. Thanks be to you and for everything you've done and given us. I thank you for your son. Um, just the opportunity that we get to gather together as brothers and sisters yet again. Um, I pray that as we open up this conversation, as we are looking at uh, the things in the world that are affecting the church and are creeping in and are already here and being flamboyant, I pray that we're able to make this more aware and that we're able to figure out what to do with that and how to better combat that as we are looking at the defense of the faith. I pray that you would guard our hearts, protect our minds, that you would give Brad and I the words to speak and that we may speak them boldly. And it is your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So this week we're going to kind of do similar to what we did last week, and we're just going to finish our eight points. We're going to discuss. We're just going to kind of have a time of uh, open discussion and communication. I do have a, uh, about an 11-minute video of a guy who deconstructed and deconverted and is now went from Christian to atheist. And I think it's helpful to see and hear from people who have done this because it, it kind of shows you the stories are very similar, right? A lot of the same language is used. A lot of the same ideas are present. Uh, so I think it's really helpful to, to watch and hear and, and uh, kind of see firsthand what people are going through and what is leading them down this path. And, and that gives us, you know, an understanding of kind of where we need to go and, and how we need to approach these issues. So um, I think we did the top one. We finished with this top one last week. So we're going to start with the one here at the bottom. It says, find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning with an open mind and open heart than in absolutes or dogma. So a few things I want to point out in this one. Um, more value in questioning. You know, Simon said from the pulpit today, you know, we all are going to have questions. We're all going to have these, like, what is God doing and why is he doing it this way? And I don't fully understand. And, and that's natural and that's okay. But the progressive church, the progressive Christianity that, that we're seeing kind of creep into our churches says there's more value in questioning than in absolutes or dogma. Use that word dogma there. They use it very... Um, uh, uh, in a negative light, Derogatory. derogatorily, yeah. They use this in a way of like, again, you see the word oppression is used a lot. And that in absolutes, they don't believe in absolute truth, right? right? That the Bible is not the absolute authority. The Bible is just guidelines. Right. Well, and most of the time, <clears throat> they're not even talking about scripture here. They're talking about the world, keeping an open mind and an open heart to the world. That's part of the deconstruction phase. And as believers, we need to have an open mind and open heart to Scripture. But our minds and our hearts need to be closed off to the world. We cannot be, be changed and we cannot have our minds and our hearts affected by worldly wisdom. As we know that Scripture calls it foolishness. The world's wisdom is foolishness. So our hearts and minds need to be open to Scripture, but they need to be closed off to the world, if that makes sense. Well, it's the first calling that Simon talked about today, calling, calling us to leave the world, right? Leaving our sin behind, leaving the world behind, leaving yeah. worldliness behind. Don't go back to it for wisdom. <laughs> and the next one. I, I don't like that animation. It's fine. Um, work toward peace and justice among all people and all life on earth. Um, on the surface, right? Nothing super... You know, 
Sounds pretty vegan to me. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. But again, what we talked about last week, it's how we define these words, right? How do we define the word peace? How do we find the word justice? Um, one of the things I think about is this, this idea of inequity and inequality. Um, a lot of times we're defining these words as, well, it should be equal outcome. So the outcome from all people should be the same. Not you work harder so you make a lot more money than I do. I should make the same amount as you do just because we're humans. And it's equal and it's fair. That's, that's what this is getting, getting at, right? So you have this idea of that it's not just equality in we all have equal opportunity to prosper and to find health, wealth, and happiness. From a Christian perspective, we should find our health our wealth and our happiness through scripture and through reading and obeying and not phys- you know, not monetary wealth necessarily, um, unfortunately, sometimes, right? Well, and, and from this, wait, there's a question. Sorry, I, yeah. I, I have one thing in our conversation that um, I was really convicted uh, about a year ago that there's a huge difference between what social justice and biblical justice. Yes, that's Those it. Two totally different things. Yeah. Yep. And I'm of the conviction social justice is basically an evil thing. Right. And, and so, with that, Romans chapter 12, we'll start verse uh, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, <clears throat> but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So, it's like, we see where they get this from. And if you were looking at it from a biblical standpoint, it I mean, yeah, it's pretty legit. <laughs> but that's it. When they say peace and justice, they're not looking at biblical godly justice. They're looking at social justice. And we need to be just. And, and it sounds good. It sounds good. It, we, why? Because it has biblical aspects to it. But again, they're changing words. They're changing what words mean. And so peace and justice is not what scripture calls it to be. So yeah, it's a very important distinction that we need to keep in mind. Because when, when we read this, we're like, well, yeah, we are to work towards peace, and we, we need to live peaceably with all as long as it depends on us. But that's not exactly what they're saying. So yeah, we need to keep that well, in mind. It, we've talked about this, you know, I, or I've said this multiple times throughout this process and throughout us being up here these last few weeks. They sprinkle nuggets of truth into everything they're saying. It's why you're... Joel Osteen's and your Benny Hens and your Kenneth Copeland's are popular and even your Stephen Furtick's are popular because they sprinkle some truth within their message. It's not full outright lies at all times well, we or heresy at all times. We just sang a Stephen, Stephen Furtick song. Yeah. And I mean the, the words are there. The words, the, the meaning of the words are biblical. But the hard part is okay what exactly does he mean by them? Because then we read this and we know what they think that means. It's like it gets dicey. So we need to be aware of those things. What bothers me about this is if, if you take this to the log- most logical conclusion, it's almost like trying to create heaven on earth without God. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and the only hope for peace and justice among all people is in heaven. And so to try to achieve this on earth is impossible for one thing because you've got to recognize there will always be people that hate us there will always be wars because of different opinions there will always be people including ourselves who are just stupid sometimes and we will (laughs) sometimes we will create tension amongst you there's no such thing as peace and justice 
on earth right. with all people. Right. Without God, it's in heaven where that's possible. And so to, so to try to even achieve that on earth is like denying the need for God. Right. Well, that, that's the some of the discussion for the Second Amendment where people are like, just lay down your guns. We don't need yeah. them anymore. Yeah. And it's like, I, I get it, dude. I'd I would love to. I would love to lay down my guns. I don't need them anymore. But until that day comes, I'm not. Which that's just a play on words too. I will never, I will never. But beside the point. Well, again, I just want to reiterate too why this is so important. If you haven't been in here, or you haven't listened to us uh, throughout the last few weeks. We we go through some of this and we wonder, okay, what does this have to do with apologetics? And it's because we want to be able to see this creeping into our churches, right? We want to be able to see these things and recognize if they're being taught from the pulpit, from a classroom like this, or from another leader within our church. And we need to see this and have our red flags go up and say, okay, what do they mean by these words? Yeah. And is this something we need to kind of maybe start saying, hey, this may not quite be quite biblical. Let's maybe pull right. back a little bit because I've said it a thousand times. You're probably tired of me saying it. Fifteen minutes later, we're standing over there and we were yeah. right here. It's because we don't pay attention to these things. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what's being what's out there. Right. And well, that's why this is so important. And the reason why is because it is very prevalent today. This is progressive deconstruction. This is the main root issue of today. Whereas uh, you go back and you read the Puritans letters and you read the books that we have from them. They weren't fighting against this. They were fighting against other things. The early church were dealing with other heresies. That's why they, they made the Apostles Creed and um, they had the the meetings that they had. We're in a different fight today. That's why we're spending so much time on it now. One of the things that I've noticed with uh, with these points that we've gone through so far is that there is a certain amount of vagueness to all of them, and that leaves everything open for anybody can interpret it whatever however they want. Whereas our Christian beliefs. We've got our guidelines right here. And the one that I was, I, I didn't say it when we were on the, the last one, but one of the things I thought of is how well, we've got questions in our lives. We can go to God's Word and we can go to God's Word for guidance, uh, for understanding, for knowledge. If we're just seeking questions and it's better to seeking questions if we're never getting any answers what sort of life is that what sort right. of fulfillment do you have or we're looking for specific answers we want answers to make us feel good about what yeah. we're thinking or what we're questioning right right um that makes us feel included or makes us feel accepted justifies and justified actions yeah or inactions or whatever well i love it what, even what simon was talking about today the truth when we get into this vagueness it gives them interpretation leniency on truth okay. and and that's it so and i love it so the hebrew uh when jesus says i am the way the truth and life the hebrew is i am the way the truth and the life and i i love it there's so much so much richness and depthness to that and that's it <clears throat> When we're looking at Christ saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and last week like, we were talking about castles and how our central castle is, you know, Christ is the Son of God. He died, he resurrected, he was ascended into heaven. Um, when we forego the rest of them, therefore, Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, if this is the Word of God, if He is the Word of God, therefore, all Scripture is breathed out by God, all of it 
from Genesis all the way to Revelation is God. It is Christ. It's all of it. And then next. I need, to, I need to be better on that. I just like end. I'm done. <laughs> Abrupt. All right, so the next uh, uh, point of progressive Christianity is to protect and restore the integrity of our earth and all of creation. Um, well, yeah, I mean, again, yeah, we're good stewards, right? We're supposed to be stewards of the earth. Um, the restoration part, I, I don't that, necessarily, that was, we can't do that. That's too much of a stretch yeah. because it's too late for us to do anything about it. Right. God's got that covered, and it's not happening until later. There's, there's a reason yeah. why it's going to burn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, and, and this one is again, something that we just, we've repeated before, and, and you've noticed, if you remember from last week, a lot of these points talk about the earth, right, and how oneness with the earth and oneness with creation. And again, it's this green ideology that, that kind of puts Mother Earth as the end-all, be-all, right? And, and Which is idolatry. Which is idolatry, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, again, how are they defining these terms? What are they meaning when they say this? You know, um, I'm thinking, I have a picture in my mind of uh, all of us driving electric vehicles. You know, you know I, right. I, I've thought for a long time that Christians ought to be the greatest environmentalists. You know, that should, that, that should be high on our list of, uh, of priorities. Yeah. Not, although just not putting it above those things above God and become idols. Right. Right. Well, and then what, what, was, our, what was our first commission? Our first commission was to uh, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth. Right. The Hebrew word for dominion is assault. We need to assault the earth as in take it over. The world was created for man. But in that, it was created for us so that we can live on it, not so that we can trash it up. So we do. We need to take care of it. But then we get into that far side of we're polluting and we're going to destroy the earth. Well, okay, God actually tells us in one verse that that's not going to happen. So uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse, I'll start in 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. This one right here. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Uh, your whole global warming, global climate change in that one verse is completely destroyed. Uh, the, the earth is going to heat up. God says it. As on, there's heat. There's cold. It will get cold. Things will change, but it will not cease. It will not cease until the end of the age where God ends it. So there's that. Take that, Greenpeace. And I think with, <laughs> and I think with this point, you see, and with a lot of them, but this one specifically, you see a political agenda here, right? Yeah. And so that's when you start seeing politics creeping into the church beyond the, the morality of, of some of these policies, beyond that, and, and beyond speaking out against policies that are absolutely contradictory to Scripture. That's absolutely valid. This becomes, like I said, you're pushing a political agenda now at this point and goes beyond talking about the pro-life movement, talking about things like that, and it goes to let's push this this socialist agenda, let's push this, and the church doesn't need to be involved in that, right? The church should not be involved in that. 
for multiple reasons, but the most important one is it's contradictory to Scripture. Right, and God, you know, God has a hierarchy of, of things that are important based on His standards, and man is above animals and plants. Right. Uh, no, so, God, so we take care of them, but, but we don't sacrifice our lives to save an animal right. or, or, or a forest. This is, where right. you, this is where you hear people that will hold the progressive Christianity that will say things like, well, I'm only going to have one child so I don't, you know, uh, uh, overpopulate. overpopulate or I Two don't, kids. yeah, or I don't, uh, what is it, increase my carbon footprint, right? right? And, and you, you're starting to hear that a little bit of people only have the, the loops specifically, I think, said that this is their... This is their goal, right? To only have goal. a couple kids. Definitely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna looking at about twelve, so <laughs> one for each tribe. One for yeah. <laughs> We need a soccer team, so we need at least eleven. <laughs> You've also got Christians today that <clears throat> believe that God started evolution. Yeah. That man came from animals still based off of what's being taught in school and we came from a frog who ate yeah. a turtle. And so, in their system, they value animals just as much as humans. And so right. that argument doesn't even work because their foundation is off. Yeah, and it, <laughs> you know, and it comes back. It's, it's a piece in a puzzle that supports devaluing human life. Exactly. Well, and then you get other religions like, like Buddhism or Hinduism. Uh, Buddhism is the big one of, like, they won't even kill worms. Because worms could have been your great great grandmother, and, and it's like <laughs> I've killed many. We're teaching against heresy here. It's just fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So the last one here is to commit to a path of lifelong learning compassion and selfless love on this journey toward a personally authentic and meaningful faith. Um, unless they're Christians. <laughs> unless they're Christians. Well, and that's it. You can take that both ways. You can, you can take it for literally any religion. That is not specific to Christianity whatsoever. I mean, I get, it sounds good. We are to commit to a path of lifelong learning. That I mean, biblically we know that. Um, Knowledge is, or the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God, as Proverbs chapter 1 says. And as we get deeper in our faith, our knowledge is supposed to be greater in Scripture and greater of God. We are to keep learning, but that's not what, they, that's not what they're talking about. And it, just, it blows my mind. Well, and the one that sticks out to me, of course, is personally authentic and meaningful faith. Mm-hmm. And when you start hearing these things of like, okay, what's how you interact with God and how you feel uh, you are to live based on how you feel, how you feel. It's all about you. It's all about me. Austin may feel that he needs to obey this commandment. Well, I don't feel that way. I feel I need to obey this commandment and not that one. But it's okay. It's your conviction. That's not my conviction. I mean, they're diametrically opposed to each other, but they're both true. That's what you start to hear when you start to go through progressive Christianity. And again... For me, this is just know the signs. Know what is being taught from these big pastors that, that everyone knows, right? The, the, the names that we know within our own church 
and within your the people that you interact with and, and what they believe. Because again, it's a, are, they, are they saying that uh, traditional Christianity through history is uh, uh, not uh, learning, not compassionate, and not selfless, and not loving, and is inauthentic? Yes. And is meaningless. There, our faith is meaningless. That's basically what they're saying. That's exactly what they're we're saying. Not do, we're not getting it, so we got to <clears throat> commit to this uh, uh, authentic faith and meaningful faith. Well, because most most everything of, everything Christianity's been doing, including sending millions of missionaries <laughs> around the world uh, to share the gospel, is meaningless and inauthentic. Is that that's what they're saying? That's exactly. Well, what because saying. most of them believe that the church was started just as a money making movement. Or as a way to oppress women. Or to oppress women. A lot of them, I think that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it all goes back to what you're saying about evolution. They think we are evolving towards something better. And we know that we are decaying. We, We started perfect and we've been corrupting ever since then. So when they say a path of lifelong learning, they're not meaning like, oh, you're studying scripture. They mean you're going to get a psychology degree so you can know how your parents messed up everything in your life. (laughs) You are now a better authority because you are better. You know more than your parents now. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, looking at as they believe in evolution, we believe in adaptation. Whereas they have evolved and we're evolving into greaterness. Whereas we look at even look Sham, Ham, and Japheth when they came off of the ark and they spread out, came from Noah and now we have Africans who are dark. We have Asians. We have uh, everything came from Noah and Adam. It's because they have adapted to the climate of which they're at. They haven't evolved. Nothing's changed as in they have had new cells come in. It's because their bodies have adapted to that. Um, there was a bunch in there. What else were you saying? Uh, towards the end of that. Psychology. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The basis. The basis. Of, you know, what is authenticity? Yeah. Uh, where you know, where are you getting your uh, your your standard for measure? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we. Yeah. They've all lost well, all standard must, of measure. Thank God is evolving too. To to meet our needs and our wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, God is no longer unchanging. He is changing. Yeah, exactly. Or she. Or she. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, so, <laughs> for me, what this boils down to, in, in all eight points that we've talked about, and deconstruction that we talked about last week, it boils down to, we, we want to, the culture wants a way to justify their behavior. They want a way to justify their lifestyles to... to be okay and to be accepted and again we talk about acceptance and and it's how you define this term if a homosexual couple comes into our church do we love them and embrace them and say we're glad you're here absolutely we do Mm. do we say we welcome your lifestyle and we want you to serve no because that's goes against scripture right we don't water down the truth to please people that want to feel validated and feel accepted, and feel safe, warm, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, any thoughts on? Okay, go ahead. Uh, I, go ahead. I've noticed that in churches, uh, progressive churches, it seems like they focus more. The pastors focus more on what's your personal experience yes. with God, and they don't spend any time reinforcing 
what does the Bible say about God? How should you think about God? What is true? Rather, how have you experienced God in your life? And then they just take Scripture away from all of it. So you get to a point where you're deciding what's true about God based off of your own experience and your own opinion. Well, God would never let that happen to me. God would never do that to somebody. So therefore, I don't believe that's true about God. And then they start pulling things out of Scripture. And that's where you end up like this, where it's a personal, meaningful relationship. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what Scripture says. Right. And you, you want to experience God, but in the bounds of who He is and His character. And you don't, you're not going to know that if you're not in the Bible. Right. Well, and that gets into, like we've talked about, exegesis versus eisegesis. When you're looking at Scripture from an eisegesis standpoint, you are putting too much of your human emotion, your fleshly, decaying, not God, completely contrary to God emotion into it. And therefore, yeah, you're picking out the things that you like and you don't like. And, that, and it gets into there, that um, one of the forms of apologetics, it's experiential apologetics, where you are coming from it and you're talking to somebody from your own position and what you've gone through in your life. And there could be a part to that, yes. I mean, it's your testimony, sharing where you came from, where you are now. But as long as you're doing it scripturally and you're doing it in the right form, it, it could be powerful. But you're not going to change anyone's position on just what you've gone through. Because as we've talked about, it was uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X was, the, uh, his, uh, his father died, he got into the wrong crowd, just awful, got into a gang, I think it was around Detroit. Uh, he ended up in jail, he was in jail for a while, and then someone came to him preaching um, Islam, preaching about the Elijah Muhammad, and it changed his life, his experience. And he ended up opening over like a hundred houses of, of worship for Islam. He ended up uh, going away from that because he ended up saying, oh yeah, this is not right towards the end of his life, and then the Nation of Islam had him assassinated, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but it, it changed his life, and it was ex his experience, and he shared his experience. But it wasn't scriptural. So, it, yeah, it, it could be a very powerful tool, and it works for a lot of people, but if you do it in the right way. Does the progressive start with, you know, you go back to where people say, oh, God won't give me any more than I can handle. Mm. I mean, God gives you more than you can handle, so you draw near to Him. But it seems like that is the first sign to me that of progressive Christianity, where mm. you're kind of tweaking the Scripture to... Meet what you want. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, and it's like progressivism per se, just that one versus everything else. I mean, we've seen throughout history, we've seen from the beginning, uh, even with the letters of Paul saying, you know, there are going to be people that come in. Uh, Timothy chapter 4, um, verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food, God created to receive with thanksgiving, uh, by those who believe in the truth. Uh, verse 1, Now the Spirit express, expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Uh, so, so, 
um, many more just saying that this is going to happen. They're going to take scripture. They're going to change it. We see that with Satan when he's talking to Jesus, literally quoting Psalms. He does it in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, yeah. that's when it started. That's yeah, when it started. That, surely that's not what God said. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's it. it. It's always been here. Progressivism has just taken it and run off with it. I mean, what did what did Satan imply when talking to Eve? He implied that God was oppressing her, oppressing her desires and, and her mm -hmm. wants and her needs, oppressing her knowledge, right? Her ability to learn and know right from wrong. Right. And that's, that's what he was implying in that. And that's what these people are implying as well, is that these rules and these <coughs> commandments and obeying scripture is oppressive. Right. And it keeps you from being your true self and your authentic and selfless and meaningful self. And what you just brought up shows that they're modeling their progressive Christianity over the teachings, on the teachings of Satan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well again, what did Satan use to tempt Jesus? Scripture, right? Little nuggets of truth kind of sprinkled in to make it sound good and make it sound like it was biblical and right and loving and compassionate. Yeah. But again, twisting its meaning. I, there's an illustration that I would never actually do because I value this book too much, but... Um, I've thought about doing this, and I won't, like I said, I won't do it. But it's going through something like this, talking about progressive Christianity, talking about these deconstructions, and saying, okay, let's start in Genesis 1. It says, God created male and female. Well, I don't like that, so rip it out. And just rip it out of the Bible. Put yeah, it away. You, you get smacked. And keep right. moving and keep going until your Bible goes from this big to about, like, uh, Maybe that big. Uh, right? That's probably too big, actually. That might even be too much. <laughs> and, okay, this is the Bible I follow now. Is that little section yeah. with, like, three or four verses on each page or whatever. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And that's what we need to be aware of when we're talking to other believers, when we're in church, when we are talking to our friends and our family about their churches and, right. and who they're listening to and what they're allowing themselves to be fed with. Are these... Points are these ideas, ideologies, these um, redef redefining of words. Is that creeping in? And then your apologetics <laughs> kicks in and you say, okay, no, th th this is not biblical. This is not holding to this entire book, right. not just the parts that you like. Well, in, in this side of it, most of them are talking about legalism, whereas we just call it obedience. As we read through scripture and we see God says, do this, this makes me happy. I like this when you do this. We're like, all right, let's do it. And they're like, ah, legalism. You say you have to do that to be saved. They're like, well, no, we're not saying that. We're saying God likes it, so we want to do it. We want to obey. And they go right back to, no, that's legalism. That's legalism. It's like, uh, the word doesn't mean what you think it means. But, yeah. So I want to do a video. Um, I am 90% sure he doesn't say anything. Uh, with bad language and I watched it and now I'm starting to um, be concerned that maybe he did cuss in this I cannot remember if he did I'm sorry and I'm I'll maybe turn it off we'll see uh, recording man it's fine um, our pastor's also in here so there's <laughs> we're gonna get thrown out <laughs> but here's the I, I, did... I was not in part of <laughs> so uh, this guy, he, he goes by, let me see, I forget, I think it's Kevin the Atheist, Jake the Atheist, sorry. Jake the Atheist, all right? And he... Really sticking it to the man there. Yeah. Uh, he is a Christian. Now, he was raised in a Pentecostal, uh, probably a little more actual, real definition of the term legalist, probably more legalistic uh, way. 
But this is his story is very common. His story is very it's the same language you're going to hear throughout any of these types of stories, okay? Anything anybody that has deconstructed or deconverted their uh, verbiage is very similar, the words they use are very similar, um, and their story is relatively similar. So let's watch this and cross our fingers that I didn't make a mistake. Here we go. Or maybe not. This worked 15 minutes ago. Oh, man. God said no. Apparently. Legitimately 15 minutes ago. Let's do this. Brad, just read the closed caption. There you go. <laughs> just bleep out anything bad. Yeah. <laughs> More. Austin, what else you got? <laughs> uh, uh. Anyway, if you, if you unplug the HDMI cable and plug it back in, it might reset the connection. Yeah. So tech guy. <laughs> Well, how about some more scripture? Just to reinforce what we're talking about. So first, Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse, starting in verse 3. Oh, this is really uh, teach and urge these things. Anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain for... For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So, again, just re, reaffirming that Paul and many of the other apostles are telling us that this is going to happen over and over and over again. Um, does it work? I think so. <laughs> I honestly think anyone who listens to this on Wednesday is going to hear this guy talk every time I hit play, because it was running sound through this thing oh, okay. and not through that. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and this is my deconversion story. Hey. I've been an atheist for almost three years now. Um, before that, I was a Christian for the first 21 years of my life or so. And ever since I can remember, I've been involved in church, going to church, doing church-related activities. My parents raised my two brothers and I within the Assemblies of God, kind of Pentecostal denomination for most of our lives. We attended the same church for about a decade. We went to private Christian school pretty much exclusively through our elementary school years. And that was kind of where I really got a lot of the ideas about like creationism and that kind of thing. And after elementary school, my parents pulled me out and um, started homeschooling us. That's kind of when I started to find out a lot more about what a lot of the more fundamentalist Christians believe and what they practice. Like, we would go to these homeschool conventions, you know, the ones where I have 15 passenger vans full of kids and, you know, all the denim skirts and all the combed back hair and tucked in shirts. That's, yeah, that was, that was kind of my 
my homeschooling experience for a lot of my middle school and high school years. Um, so that was interesting. But I, I, I didn't really, I guess I didn't really object or anything. It was, as far as I could tell, it was just like a more proper and more correct way of practicing Christianity. So I, I, I went along with it and I, you know, I just, I thought that that was the best way to, to follow God. You know, ever since I was born, I have, have always been exposed to Christian ideas, Christian literature in school, Christian teaching, that kind of stuff. I didn't really realize it at the time, but um, a lot of kind of the structure that I had grown up in was really kind of a bubble. So I never really had a good idea of what it was like to not be a Christian. And I didn't really have a clear view of like what people outside of the church even did or were like. Um, because everything that I saw and that I heard was filtered through my parents and church leaders and stuff. And, you know, everything they told me about what people outside the church were like, that was pretty much what I believed. And that's kind of all my perception and expectation was of, of people who weren't like us for years. Growing up, I had I read the Bible. I had read it multiple times, I think at least three times cover to cover um, over the course of my childhood and, and schooling experience. And, you know, a lot of the explanations and, and kind of ways that my parents and my pastors would kind of talk about certain verses, some like really problematic stuff. Um, a lot of the ways that they described it, I never really thought twice about it. The first time I really started asking questions and looking around was when my family had kind of a blow up with another family at our church. I kind of sat back and I was like, this, this just seems like any other kind of disagreement that people have in or outside of the church. Trying to reconcile these two things that, you know, there's people that don't believe and they're actually really nice. And then seeing people inside of the church, not all of them, obviously, but there are still people that fight and, and don't get along. And it's, it's not the one big happy family that we all want it to be. But that was kind of the first time that I started asking the question, like what makes us who we are? Is it religion? Is it something else? What is it? Um, and it was not too long after that when my brother was diagnosed with cancer. That definitely changed my perspective for sure. I didn't really feel like I, I needed to explain his diagnosis. It, it just felt like a normal, random, unfortunate thing that happens to anyone. It didn't feel like God was testing us or anything like that. I just, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't mad at God or anything. This kind of gave me the perspective that maybe, maybe things aren't guided. Maybe things just happen randomly. Because I saw good things and, and bad things happening to both good and bad people. Um, you know, growing up in the church doesn't seem to make you a better person. Um, and it also doesn't seem to have any effect on the kinds of circumstances that happen to you. Um, obviously, people who believe in God tend to explain and give meanings behind what happens. But, you know, if you really look at it, we all kind of go through the same stuff. As the months kept coming and going, my brother's condition started to get worse. And 
this was kind of where I saw like my family and my mom especially take a different path than I did. She started to get really involved in these pseudoscience kind of alternative healing and, and medicine kind of practices. And obviously it was with good intention. She was trying to help her son, but I just saw her become more extreme with her beliefs and kind of chase anything that would give her hope. And I kind of took a different path. I started thinking a lot more about death and mortality. And I looked into like stoic philosophy and different things like that. So I was definitely more curious about these other ideas and ways that other people had kind of explained and thought about these common problems that we all go through. But I was definitely still a Christian and I still believed. And I didn't really change much of what I believed until until after my brother died in end of 2018. Um, that's when I really started to kind of question what I what I thought and how I was raised. Um, it's not because I was angry at God or anything. I think at that point, the question started entering my mind, you know, is there, is there really anybody to be mad at? I guess I didn't really have an answer for that. I, I didn't feel like I was justified in blaming something or someone for, for what happened to my brother. You know, this kind of stuff happens to, to everyone, you know, good and bad people, however you define it, you know, religious, non-religious, believing in all sorts of gods. It's, it's just, I don't know, it, it, it was just life. So it was about that time that I started to find out more about the Bible that I was raised to believe. Um, I learned a lot about kind of the historical origins and the anonymous authors of so many of the gospels and even kind of the way that the books were selected to be to be added into the Bible. It was all just didn't seem very inspired to me after a while. And so many of these, you know, literal interpretations that I was raised with just didn't hold up anymore. Um, as I started to learn more about science and kind of the way that the way that we actually come to know things, I started to kind of distance myself from those kind of a little bit more fundamental and literal interpretations and parts of the Bible. But I, I still kind of had the idea in my mind that, you know, Jesus was a real person and, you know, I, I still had the whole kind of like, you know, Christianity belief relationship kind of thing intact um, until I started to kind of think more about like my faith and, and what that actually meant. Like the word faith, what does that even mean? It's, it's believing in something when you don't have all the evidence for it or, or you don't know for certain. Um, you know, there's that story about Jesus rebuking Thomas for, for not believing unless he had that, that proof of the, the holes in his hands. Um, and Jesus's words are used as kind of a reinforcement of, you know, faith over, over evidence. And when I started to really think about, you know, faith and, and what it actually was, that kind of was the biggest piece for me. I realized that so many other religions believe so many different things on faith. What can you not believe on faith? 
is it really a reliable path to truth if it's just a confident kind of belief or an assertion in something that you can't prove? That didn't seem logical or reasonable to me. So after looking at the evidence, I, I realized that I, I don't have a good reason for, for what I believe anymore and that it was all kind of about that extra step that, yes, we don't have evidence for it, but if you require evidence to believe this, your faith is weak. Once, once I realized how much of my faith was based on faith, a flip switched in my brain, and I just, I just knew that I didn't want to have to believe things on faith anymore. I wanted to, I wanted to be informed, and I wanted to understand what I was personally believing. And that was kind of the moment when I realized that I was an atheist. It was kind of refreshing to, to know that I didn't have to have an answer or an explanation for everything. We're still finding things out. We don't have to assume or claim to know anything that can't be proven. It's okay to say, I don't know sometimes. And a lot of the time that's the honest thing to do. And it, it felt good to kind of use that title finally. Becoming an atheist and really questioning my beliefs has only made me better. And I want to continue to become better and improve myself and the world around me. I think that once you, once you realize how much of religion is based on fear and guilt, it's impossible to go back to. I've been an atheist for almost three years now, and this has become kind of my passion now. I, I would love to talk with more people about this and kind of show people my perspective and help them kind of see the world the way I see it and the way I saw it. That's kind of why I created this channel and, and why I'm telling you my story. Becoming an atheist has definitely changed my life for the better and I, I can't wait to see what I'll learn next and the kind of person that I'll be in the future. <laughs> Very motivational. I'm really glad you had the captions on there because that video editing was horrible. Yeah, it was he like was. he was having an epileptic fit or something. <laughs> so, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so are we gonna pick this apart? He's yeah. not even really an no. He doesn't even know what he is. Well, that's it. He's a, he's he's an agnostic. Maybe. But he's passionate about it. He's, he's passionate, passionate about it. <laughs> he's passionate about it. And he's taking he's taking a huge leap of faith if he's becoming an atheist. Yeah, that's right. his greatest. That's a that's a huge. Leap. That's his greatest fallacy. His, is his church. I have to say, his church. Churches. This is a weakness. And I'm glad. That's why I'm glad we're having this apologetics class. They didn't teach him why. We believe what we believe. Right. Yes. Okay. They never. Evidently, he never got taught that, or when he got taught that, he didn't understand it or something. Like the Bible was written by random people. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 grabbed onto a few little uh, sound bites that he's heard from um, these deceitful teachers, uh, and uh, he's he's using those to prop up. You know, to stand on. That's that's the shifting sands he's standing on. Yeah. So so his 
his light bulb moment was recognizing a lack of evidence. Well, when you see a lack of evidence, you don't move from, again, using his logic, you, you don't go from, okay, this shifting sands, I'm gonna go stay on this other shifting sands because his new worldview doesn't have any more evidence than the old worldview. Right. Yeah, it actually has less. It actually has less, right. 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 Well, yeah. what did he say was his perspective? Right. And yeah. he wants to share his perspective and his worldview. And it's all based on his, again, his own life lived. Right. I just want to say a big thing to notice is that he did not deconvert. He said he was right. a Christian for 21 years, meaning from birth. Right. Meaning he was just a child in a Christian home. Right. And so right. you can't just hinge everything Who's, on, oh, this Christian just was like this diehard, passionate Christian who was saved and was reborn and all that has deconverted. That's not what he's talking about. That's an right. Yeah. yeah. He was practicing, he mentioned it a couple times, this religion. Right. He was practicing a religion. Yeah. That he then decided that's not one of the practices. He was taught how to be religious. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's a hard one, too, because it's like, okay, do you blame the parents? And um, I, I do to a little bit because, again, it was – he was looking at it from, oh, this was the way I was raised. Again, I was raised in the church. I was raised in a Christian home. Therefore, I was a Christian. Um, but there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, looking at like when his, <clears throat> his brother was diagnosed with cancer and like he, his perspective was, was pretty good. It's like, this happens. Um, looking at one of the stories that are in the gospels where the man that is blind from birth and his disciples come to Jesus and say, who sinned that this man is blind? Did his parents sin or was it a sin that he committed? And Jesus is like, no. No, it's neither of those. This man is blind that the glory of God may be shown. And, and it's a hard concept because it is, okay, why um, say uh, you have a child that dies and it's why did that child die? And the, the explanation for it is for the glory of God. And that's, that is a very hard concept to get to because... It's like, that doesn't make sense. But looking at Scripture as a whole as, okay, all things are being done for the glory of God. When we look at the story of, um, oh goodness, uh, Joseph. Uh, Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. Him going to Egypt, him being thrown in prison for two years. What was the point of that? Well, when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he tells his brothers why. You did not sell me into slavery. God put me here. It wasn't you that threw me in the pit and then sold me and then I went to Egypt and I went through what I did. It was because God wanted me here. Why? Because this famine was coming and all of Israel would have died. I am, uh, God put me here to save all of Israel. We uh, had a conversation with really good friends of ours and asked them the question, why did your son die? And uh, it, was, it was a very, very sobering moment. And having, having that moment of just pondering, 
and it's like be, look at all the people that you have been able to reach for the glory of God because of that. And, and I'm not saying that this is the answer. It is an answer, but it's for the glory of God. The, why did his brother get cancer? I don't know. Besides the fact that God allowed it and it was for his glory. I, I would say that this that is the answer, answer and the and only sin. answer. Yeah. Uh, so, because God's people have been asking this question ever since we've been on the earth is why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? The answer is glorify God. Yes. That is, that is not satisfying our human nature. Uh, but that's it. If you look, if you, you know, read the book of Job, it, the answer is glorify God. Yeah. Well, in reality, there are no good people. So well, yeah, right. yeah, that's another <laughs> exactly. Right. That's getting way too so deep. We, but we're still asking those questions anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you'll see that question throughout the Bible many times. The answer is always, and the only answer is glorify God. Right. Maybe I don't know if it's helpful or not. But okay, another reality: God doesn't owe us an answer. Um, he just doesn't owe us an answer. If, if there is a God. If, and we fear God, we would line up to acknowledge that and say, Lord, you know, I want to figure out what your will is. I want to do your will. But we're just, we just write them off. And, like, and just to think that we can understand the mind of God is, you know, the person who created this universe, who created humans and life on earth, is to think that we can understand that is just arrogant. Yeah, yeah. Right. we can. But he gives us a whole lot. Right. He does. Understanding. He gives us a lot. Back to back to why you I think you showed this video. Because we're seeing this in the pop culture Christianity that are selling books and writing music and uh, on the videos and um, leading Christianity at least from the world's perspective. We're seeing this right here, and this I'm gonna give you three verses. This is 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, um, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, they, were, they were concerned because somebody wrote a letter thinking, oh, the rapture has already happened. Uh, Let none of you be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by a message or a letter from us saying the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one be deceived, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the falling away, the uh, rebellion. And then Christ himself in Matthew 24 says, uh, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. He gives you this big long list. And then they'll deliver you, you into tribulation, kill you, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another, hate one another. For many false prophets will arise and mislead them. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we're in this, it, it, seems, it feels like, at least for America, uh, we're in this birth pain of falling away, right? Right. right. Well, falling away. One thing I wanted to point out too is we talked last week, I mentioned this idea that, that these prominent people, I'm not saying he's prominent because I had not heard of him until I started kind of watching some videos this week. But um, a lot of prominent people will either do this very subtly or they'll do it aggressively and, and be very hostile. 
I would say uh, Jake. Well, I don't remember his name. Jake, I think it was. Um, he was doing it subtly. He is being very, you know, talking that soft voice, very sincere, right? He sounds good, although the editing probably made him sound better than he actually did. But, uh, well, same way with us, by the way. We sound a lot better after we're edited. But, um, but yeah, no, he is. he's trying to show compassion. He's trying to show a, a, the genuine person and genuine faith and genuine reality, whatever terminology you want to use. He is doing this subtly. Yeah. And I don't think his, for lack of a better term, decon deconversion, because what Emily said is absolutely valid and, and correct, but his, his walking away from the faith, it was a slow process, right? And it started with asking questions that he wasn't liking the answers he was either getting or he wasn't getting good answers. That's very possible. Yeah. Right. Where the, the, or he wasn't asking good questions. Right. I mean, it, there, there are a lot of factors at play there. Where maybe the church, the church he was attending didn't have the right answers or didn't give him the good answers, his parents, or he yeah. wasn't, like you said, asking the proper questions. Or even um, authentic in his uh, conclusions. Right. Or his yeah. motives even, right? Maybe right. he was looking for a reason to walk away. Right. Yeah. But it was a, it was a process. It wasn't just a all of a sudden, boom, I'm no longer a Christian or I no longer identify as a Christian. Right. It was a... I'm going to start asking questions. And, and our responsibility as believers and as a church, big church, universal church, is to be ready to give answers and to give defense. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have them all. I mean, he, he said something there I thought was true. It's like sometimes we have to say, I don't know. Yeah. That's okay. I don't know why your brother died necessarily. I, I don't know what that purpose was. I don't know why your son passed away. I don't know these things. I don't necessarily have an answer for you. Yeah. To give, you know, especially one that's going to satisfy us, like Kevin said, that's going to satisfy our human flesh and our human minds. But we know that ultimately, as it says in Romans, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Yeah. And we have to rely on that. But our responsibility is to have an answer, be able to give a defense for some of these questions. Yeah. Well, We're not going to know everything, yeah. but at least have the ability to maybe bring him back and bring him into a better understanding. Right. There is a level that the, the progressive culture brings up, and they have a good point, in that a lot of Christianity, we don't accept any questions or any doubts, and we need to be willing to accept those questions and not just brush them off as if they're stupid while we know, okay, they might be stupid. <laughs> we still need to realize that, okay, this person's mind is having an issue and this is a valid question for them, and let's treat it as such while still leaving the end result as this is stupid. Like, you know, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. We, we have to be willing to answer those questions because otherwise they're going to go to people who can relate. And you don't want them to go to people who can relate. You want them to go to older, wiser, you know, leaders in the church and not just peers or science. Well, in that, and we see that where he, he went somewhere he went to either somebody or online asking where did the books of the bible come from and what did he get the the first thing you look on the internet if you look that up is constantine picked out the the books of the bible and he put them together well we we've gone through that and we've that's not true and if you go to the wrong sources you will get the wrong answers but of course even going to any university you go to any research that is done 
for any paper has to be done on the database of their database. So if you bring an outside source, they won't accept it because that's not a part of their database. It's like, okay, well, who decided what was on your database? Oh, uh, you don't need to know that. Okay, so they're not accepting any outside sources like scripture. Um, I actually dealt with that with the uh, college I went to. And it, why? Because they've defined their own truth and they've got their own resources and their own people to define what their own truth is. Uh, yeah, very, very dangerous. Um, man, I had something else. I lost it. <laughs> um, yeah, there were, man, there were so many things that he went through, so many things that he said. That's like, I just, yeah, I feel sad for him. And we pray for him. We pray that he comes back. Um, or that he comes to a knowledge of Jesus Christ the first time. For the first yeah. time. Well, and, and yeah. that's what came to my mind. So uh, John chapter 10, uh, starting verse 22, it says, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, so on and so forth. Uh, that's a hard hard one, too. It's like, was, was he even... Was he even um, um, saved. And it's like, I don't know. I hope his brother was. I hope his brother was. I hope I pray that his brother was. Yeah. So I hope that, or we hope that these last couple of weeks specifically about these have been helpful, at least to get a conversation going, to kind of get you to recognize some of what the church is facing, especially the church in the West, um, and, and how our beliefs and our ideas and, and our, our Bible is being attacked and picked apart and ripped apart by our culture daily yeah. um, and it's getting worse each day right it, it's uh, it's not going to end and obviously it's not going to end until 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 the, the end. end until the actual yeah. end when god you know uh creates the new heaven and new earth but um just be encouraged that that you can recognize these things and, and you can go to scripture and and you take everything we say take everything pete says take everything that is said with especially within this church that we're a part of and take it back to the bible yeah. And if it matches, run with it. If it doesn't, then you start asking questions and you start kind of seeing, hey, what what I heard or what I think I heard didn't quite match. And then, you know, have that conversation. Yeah. Because, again, it's so important that as a body of believers that we are on guard for these ideas creeping in. Uh, because that's when things kind of go off the rails and go yeah. off the rails a lot quicker than you think. Well, and since we still have some time. They're not singing yet, so we're just going to keep going. Um, th this is the one side of deconstruction, the side of where they completely, they completely turn away from the faith. The, in, in my opinion, what I have seen, the, the most dangerous side to the deconstruction movement is those that do not turn away from the faith. And now scripture does not mean what we have believed it has meant for the past 2,000 years. Um, and, and there are some really big really big proponents of that. Um, uh, so 
It started in the 70s well, before that with the feminist movement, moving in and creeping into the church in the 70s. Okay, and it getting, actually started in the eight, late 1800s. Exactly, but. right. But when it started creeping into the church and when it started making an impact on the church to where we started having women pastors, started having women elders, and we get this movement into um, egalitarianism, uh, complementarianism. Egalitarian is the concept that came out of the Frankfurt School uh, from Marxists, uh, Karl Marx. Uh, they, this idea that all people are equal, all things should be the same. And as we read through scripture, that's, that's not true. We see that the, the biblical roles of man and women are different. Uh, Peter calls women the, the um, not the gentler sex, but the, the weaker, the weaker vessel. Um, and, and it's true. God made us for a purpose. And one of the really big things that have been creeping up in this deconstruction movement is that there is no hierarchy and that the patriarchy is evil. As in the patriarchy is a repercussion of the fall and that's in churches that's being taught in churches that the reason why men are in charge is because we sinned and now there's sin in the world and now the patriarchy is in charge and it's just not true we, we go back to Genesis it, it is we go back to Genesis before the fall God made Adam Paul refers to this multiple times God made Adam from Adam came Eve to help Adam. Literally, Adam went through in the entire uh, creation of animals, and he did not find a suitable helper. Why? Well, because God planned it that way, got to show him that this was the only thing that is meant for you. Going back to the original commission, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth. Well, you can't do that unless you have someone to do it with. You need help. So here is this woman, this help meet. She was meant to help you take charge and do your job here on earth. So then we get into the fall, and now they think, oh, okay, patriarchy is evil, and it's a, it's a repercussion of the fall. Um, so we, we just look through scripture, where God has placed men in charge, where God has placed men in leadership roles uh, throughout history, just in, within the church as well. But then they get into, oh, well, again, that's just because of the fall. It's like, all right, well, why did Jesus come as a man? Okay, why did Jesus choose 12 men as disciples? And the, there's, we, we look at it, and my, my wife and I, we talk about it a lot, how to us and to me, it just seems like a really stupid uh, presentation. It seems like something that just doesn't seem logical. But the way they present it is very, very compelling. And like, like she said earlier, we need to take these questions and take these um, rebuttals that are coming to us and not just brush them off. Because a lot of people are reading into it and saying, oh, this makes sense. So we can't just brush it off and be like, no, no, that's impossible. No, patriarchy's been here forever, so yeah, it's, it's a good thing. No, we need to explain why when they start leading into, okay, um, uh, God is genderless. God isn't um, just a man. He can be a woman. Well, they're not saying that God is a woman. They're saying 
don't minimize God. God could be a woman. And they look at scripture references where it says... They can't even define a woman. That too. That too. But they look at scripture references where it says um, God is talking to Israel and saying he is bringing them under his wing as a mother hen. And there are other places through scripture where it says stuff like that. And they're like, oh, well, God could be a woman. It's like, okay, let's extrapolate. Um, We are created in the image of God, right? Not just man, but women also. So could it be that God has some of these more tender parts of him that he imbued to women? Well, yeah, we see that through scripture. But that doesn't mean he is a woman. He calls himself father. He calls himself, uh, even when Abraham looks out of his tent, and he says, three men under the oak trees of memory. They're men. They're not half man, half woman. They're not transvestites. They're, they're men. Um, when Joshua sees someone coming to him, um, he walks up to him, and it's a man. A, a, looked like the son of, the man, son of God. And he says, who are you? Are you a friend or foe? And he's like, I am the leader of the Lord's army. It was a man. It was a man that came to him when... Uh, Jacob was um, wrestling with God. He was wrestling with a man, and then he popped his hip out. There are so many counts through Scripture that it's undeniable. But even looking at all that saying, no, that's impossible. God can't be a woman. We still need to be able to take their rebuttal and be like, okay, this is why. We can't just brush it off. And there's there's a lot more, but I guess they're seeing it. Can I have one really quick thing? Yes. Uh, before we finish? Okay, so um, something that he said on the video and then it's kind of been thrown all over. And we've kind of spoken this a little bit, but um, like the faith versus evidence. And then also I want to talk just for a second about Christianity versus science because people like mm. to put those at odds against each other. So like um, Kevin and my dad have both said like evidence versus faith. Everyone has faith in a lot of things, and that faith is based on evidence. They're not at odds to each other. The faith works through the evidence. The right. evidence is why you have the faith. Yeah. It's based on the evidence, otherwise it would be a blind faith, and a blind faith is not nearly as meaningful. So then, so for the Christianity versus science, people like to put those at odds to each other, which just doesn't make any sense. Science explains how things happen, and it's extremely important, and it's extremely useful. And Christianity uh, explains why they happened. So God created all the universe, and we can kind of understand some mechanisms of how the universe works through science, but it doesn't explain why the universe is here, what's it doing here, what's right. its purpose. It's like uh, there's a guy, Dr. John Lennox. He's a fantastic apologetics, apologetics, apologetic. Apologetics, yeah. yeah no, apologist. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a math- mathematician at Oxford. Um, oh, he's and, one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, and he said, he uh, had this illustration where he said, um, if I boil a cup of water to make tea, he's Irish, so. Tea. Uh, so he said, if I boil some water to make some tea, uh, science can tell me, okay, so there's electricity running through the coils, it's heating them up through the resistance, and that starts boiling the water as it heats it up, and then because the water's hot, like it, it, um, 
you know, allows the tea leaves to release their tea and then I have tea. But that's not why the tea is there. The tea is there because I want a cup of tea. Like that's why the water's boiling because right. I want a cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's why the universe is here because God wanted the universe to be here so he created it. Yeah. But then science can also explain parts in the universe, mechanisms in the universe. So they work in harmony, not at odds to each other. So, right. and, and in true, true science, there's a true understanding of scripture and true science. So what is there no contradiction? Right. There are no contradictions. Mm -hmm. Don't buy that lie. Yeah. Right. If you want to, if, if you have questions on it, come to Jake. He got an engineer. Come to his brother. He's getting his PhD. I'll give you my best shot at it. He's a good apologist. That are brilliant in the world of science and math and engineering, who have wrestled with this. Okay. Yeah. And the there, there is no there is no contradiction. And in fact, I can give you guys a talk sometime if you want it. Almost all of our science, modern science, uh, where everything just sort of it used to be sort of magic that we don't understand, where we gained all this understanding is Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian. And I can give you the list and I can show you what they did and why they did it. And they all did it because they believed in a God who created order and that there was order that we could discover. Right. Right. Well, it's because and so if we and so we should put some. They thought, okay, I, I God gave me a mind. I should put my mind for discovering what this order is right. and make use of it in putting, subduing the earth. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, and that's it. Science and math are a gift from God to help give us a glimpse and understanding to a point of Him and why He made everything the way He did. Yeah. And pe and people have lost that. And in the going to the blind faith, Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have blind faith. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty. He's writing this to give him this account so that we have certainty. And we do. We have certainty. We, have, we do have proof. Which directly goes against one of the points of progressive Christians. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so, and uh, last week someone asked the question of are progressive Christians, um, oh, how'd she put it? Um, it's there. Confrontational. confrontational. Are progressive Christians confrontational? And it's, I don't, we might have answered it, but it was. It, to the world, no. To us, yes. They are very confrontational. They are very confrontational when it comes to things that we believe and we are saying they're wrong. But of course, people get confrontational when what you are telling them they're doing is wrong. Right. But that's it. All right. Will you close us out? Lord, God, we just want to praise you right now. We want to thank you for your teaching, Lord. God, I pray you'll just put this on our hearts and just use us as as your vessels and just to get your word across, Lord. Help us with our with that calling. And Lord, just help us to preach that to the people who need it, God. And Lord, we just want to thank you. Praise your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.